Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So did you two get to enjoy the 1st of May celebrations at all the other day? I was working. I was working as well, yeah. <laughs> what a shame. We enjoyed it, didn't we, yeah, Francesca? Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> For those who don't know, the uh, it's a big tradition in Berlin on the 1st of May to have like a big kind of street party, party in the park, and there's a, a bit of a political element to it. We got caught up with a load of uh, anti-fascists. That was a little bit uh, scary, wasn't it? And a lot of mojitos, I would say. There was a lot of mojitos as well, yeah, yeah. Anti-fascists and mojitos don't really mix, do they? Yeah. But one thing that struck me, I mentioned it to you while we were there during the day, is that British people have like a real big reputation for being good at queuing. But I think the Germans are the best in the world at it. Like queuing up for a drink, it was like 30 minutes. Queuing up for the toilet, probably an hour. No, but no one was complaining. People were just getting on with it, weren't they? Yeah, in Italy it's the same, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just keep them. <laughs> you just do whatever you want. What's, what's, what are people like with queuing in Brazil? Yeah, we love to queue. Really? <laughs> yeah. That surprises <laughs> For me. For everything. That surprises me, yeah. Anyway, well, we've got a lot to talk about today, so we'll crack on. Uh, welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Burke. Uh, joining me today, it's Francesco Porzio. Yeah. Phil Costa. Hello. And Natalia Araujo. Hello. Did okay there, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. this time it was great. <laughs> uh, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, the email just to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, we'd love it if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating as well. Um, last week's show was very popular in Jamaica, apparently. So, if you're listening to Jamaica, we love your food and your music. And, <laughs> and nothing else. Certain other aspects of your culture as well, but we won't go into that. Uh, anyway, we're going di- to dive straight in this week uh, with the Champions League action, um, starting with that absorbing clash which took place at the Bernabeu on Tuesday. Um, Natalia, you're a Bayern fan. Um, what's the mood around the club after the game? Is it a, a sense of disappointment, cursing your luck, or, or was it just a case that Bayern weren't good enough? Uh, yeah, sure. I think everybody is pretty disappointed and proud at the same time because the team had a good performance. And yeah, the the team was very good, but I think not good enough. Otherwise, we would be the ones in the final, and uh, we were not we we were not good enough to take our chances. And mm. yeah, in Brazil, we have a saying that uh, basically says, "If you don't score, you will concede," and that basically what happened to Bayern in both legs. Yeah, I mean they missed a lot of chances over both legs. I think it's twenty shots in the second leg. Um, Bayern had the only score twice. A couple of individual errors kind of gave it away as well. There was one from Rafinha in the first leg and um, Sven Ulreich, that horrible, horrible uh, mistake in the second leg. I mean, that sort of thing must be really frustrating as well. Yeah, I feel pretty bad for Ulreich because he had uh, a difficult mission this season to uh, replace Manuel Neuer and uh, he had a very, very good season and uh, finished this season with that mistake was pretty bad. But mm. I think most of the fans don't really blame him. But yeah, it's quite sad yeah. that this happened. Mats Hummel said after the game that he thought Bayern were better than Madrid over the two legs. Do you think there's anything in that, Phil? I think there could be. I think on the balance of play, there was... I think they probably shaded it, especially in the first leg. Um, Real Madrid didn't really see much of the ball. And even when they did have chances, they... They weren't really great chances, but they finished them, you know, as as Real Madrid usually do. So I think Bayern can probably consider themselves unlucky. I mean, as Natalia said, there was a few bits of luck here and there, but ultimately it was just how they performed in front of goal, which mm. was which was the main difference. Yeah. Madrid are a bit of an odd one, aren't they, Francesco? They've been sort of underwhelming all the way through the tournament, um, underwhelming in the league this season, yet here they are in their third Champions League in a row. Yeah. Champions League final in a row. What Z- do you think is the secret? Though? Impressive. Zidane, I think it's a very good manager. He's the third one in history to do to uh, reach the final for the third time. 
after Capello, I think, and um, Lippi. So he's the first non-Italian to do that, <laughs> I would point out. And uh, <laughs> very impressive, I have to say. And I was not expecting Madrid to do like this, because in the La Liga they're not performing well. So I was impressed by the Real Madrid in the Champions League. Mm. Even if we have to say there was a clear penalty in the, <laughs> in the two days ago with Marcelo. Yeah. It was penalty 100%. And I mean, that could have changed I don't understand how yeah. the VAR is not, is not going the, to be in the UEFA next year. Mm. I don't see how. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned Zidane there as a good coach. I mean, he's he's another one who I find it a little bit tough to work out. You know, his his record speaks for itself. This is his third Champions League final in a row, potentially his third Champions League victory in a row. Um, but he seems to get his team selection wrong for this this game. Um, Casimiro uh, started on the bench. Lucas Vasquez played right back. Um, do you think that was a case of sort of luck or good judgment from Zidane? I think the Vasquez situation was sort of forced because he. Nacho wasn't 100% fit and obviously Carvajal was injured as well so he was the most natural fit to play there because Hakimi's you know only 19 and it's not easy to mark someone like Frank Ribéry but mm. with Casemiro I'm not really sure because he's usually a favourite of Zidane he's usually you know at the base of that midfield sort of mopping everything up behind Modric and Kroos but I think he he tried to match Bayern sort, sort of for energy because they had mm. Hammers you know, Thiago and Tolisso, who are quite mobile, mm-hmm. quite physical. So maybe with Kovacic, he tried to sort of match the energy in midfield. So I didn't really have an issue with, with any of the the selections. It was just quite strange to see him do it on such a big stage. Mm. Do you think there might be a case that Zidane is even holding Madrid back a little bit and they could be even better with their... It seems odd to say, I know, of someone who's just got to a Champions League final, but I'm just not, I'm just not convinced by him as a coach at all, really. Yeah, I think... Most of the people are not convincing. Yeah. I think maybe he just got lucky that he had like a bunch of good players on the pitch and somehow he managed that. But as Francesco said, it cannot be a coincidence that he he's, he's going there again. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not really sure, but I'm still not convinced about Zidane. No. I have the same feeling that he's like Guardiola when he was in, the, in Barcelona the first uh-huh. time. So he was playing great football and everything, but everyone was saying, oh, I, w- I want to see him somewhere else. And now the Guardiola went to Bayern Munich and mm-hmm. especially Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all talking about Guardiola in a different way. So maybe if Zidane goes somewhere else and he does the same, we are going to talk about another manager. Yeah. Mm. Do you think Madrid sort of, I mean, you know, you look at the, I keep mentioning it, the third Champions League final in a row, it sort of suggests that they're one of the greatest teams of, of this generation, one of the greatest teams in Champions League history. Do you think they deserve that? I think Real Madrid are just such a strange club because like you said, people aren't convinced about Zidane. But he's he's the embodiment of Real Madrid. You know, he's he's the presence on the field. He's that star player. So, like you said, they haven't been great in in La Liga or just throughout the season in general. But they know what to do. This mm. is like Real Madrid Champions League finals, the big stage. So it's it's a difficult one because you can't really work them out. Do they deserve to be there? I don't know. But you can't look at what they've achieved and and not consider them as one of you know, the greatest teams of, of post-2000. Mm. And whether that's down to Zidane or, or the players they've got remains to be seen. But I think it's probably just a mixture of, of everything coming together nicely. And, and I think they'll probably go on to win it. Yeah. I kind of thought that um, Ronaldo would be sort of crucial to Madrid's chances. He was pretty poor in the first leg. Wasn't great in the second leg either. Who else do you think stepped up in, in his absence from Madrid? Who impressed you? Um, I thought Varane was very good. Usually he's... a bit of a question mark because he's quite injury prone 
Um, I thought Navas had a good game in the second game, mm. considering he's a bit shaky in the first. Um, and Asensio, you know, he's a young player coming in, he made a difference in the in the away leg, which was you know a crucial goal for them. So I think he has that potential to really step up when it matters. Yeah. One player who perhaps didn't have a, uh, a fantastic game was Robert Lewandowski. Um, you know, he missed a good chance in the first leg. He missed a few chances in this one. Um, at the start of the season, he was sort of talking in the press about buying how they need to buy some more players so they can kind of realise its ambition. But it's kind of him that fell short, wasn't it, ultimately? Yeah, I mean, has anybody seen Lewandowski around lately? Because, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe he's just in a very comfortable position because he knows that Jupp uh, Heynckes would not choose Sandro Wagner to start the game against Madrid so he's in a very comfortable position but it's really hard to understand what happened he should be our key player to score goals and he simply was not there Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's very disappointed fans are really disappointed with Lewandowski there are some already saying that we should Bayern should sell him already uh, enjoy the opportunity to make some money Mm. but yeah it was it was a quite disappointed performance in both games yeah Really? They're talking about selling him this summer now? You yes, wow. yes. I've seen some fans like, yeah, let's make some money while we can. Mm. Yeah, I suppose there's well. something in that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one player I, I thought was really good was uh, James Rodriguez. Um, he's enjoyed a real a real sort of back, comeback to form with Bayern this season. Um, do you think uh, Do you think he's going to stick around for a bit longer at Bayern? I think I think so. I think Bayern will try to to keep him, uh, him, and uh, I was quite surprised because I was totally against uh, mm. his sign. But yeah, now I really want Bayern to keep him, and mm. it's, he had has had a very impressive season, and uh, he made the difference, especially in the second leg. But yeah, I really think Bayern will try to keep him for sure. Do you think there might be uh, a few players leaving, a few players coming in this summer? Do you think the squad's perhaps long overdue, a bit of an overhaul at Bayern now? Uh, I I don't know. I don't see any player leaving right now. Um, before there were many talks about Robin and Liberty leaving uh, because they are quite old already. But I think Bayern will give them one more year of contract mm-hmm. and. Um, after this uh, Lewandowski case in the Champions League, maybe the club will go after another striker. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's see. Not really sure what's yeah. coming up. New coach and everything, yeah. Um, we mentioned this last week. I'd be interested to get your, your opinion on it. Do you think the Bundesliga has become a bit too easy for Bayern? And is, is it becoming a bit of a problem for them now that they're, they're sort of having a bit of difficulty stepping up to the next level in Europe? Um, it's definitely getting too easy. and uh, But at the same time, I don't think Bayern had like big trouble to manage Madrid. The real thing, the real problem was that they could not score. Mm. But it would be it would be dumb to say that the Bundesliga is not very easy for Bayern and it would be better if we had some more challenging opponents in the Bundesliga and uh, for sure it would make the squad a bit better and a bit more ready to face uh, teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, or even Liverpool, mm-hmm. Manchester City in Champions League. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll look ahead to the final uh, in a minute. Um, but first, uh, there's uh, another semi-final clash took place in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome on Wednesday night. An absolute goal fest that was. Um, I must admit, Francesco, I had no hope for Roma at all in that second leg. Um, but they, they very nearly did it, didn't they? <laughs> That's new, the new trend, you know, for Roma, <laughs> yeah. coming back in impossible results yeah. in the semi-final. Uh, they did it against Barcelona, this time they did not. I think that the referee was, 
you know, very bad yesterday mm. because there were two clear penalties and uh, one was offside, they call it offside, there would be red card for Carrios also, so that will change completely mm -hmm. the game in the second half. But they lost, they didn't lose yesterday, they lost one week ago when yeah. they conceded five goals in Nanfield and with playing with a three defense, uh, with one Jesus uh, um, close to Salah, that was the worst decision <laughs> in the, the Francesco career probably <laughs> as a coach. But, you know, it's the first year of a new cycle for Roma. So I think that there is room for improvement. Mm. They have good players. They don't need to sell more players this summer because since they made it to the semi-final, actually yesterday was the um, um, game with most uh, revenue in the in, in history of Italian football. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. More than 5.5 million. Um, they beat the record of Inter Juve of last week mm -hmm. so you know Roma is making a lot of money for Champions League yeah. and they don't need to sell players this summer and they have very good players in the, especially El Sharawi yesterday I think was incredible also Nangolan was pretty good and but they need something in the, in the defense for sure if they want to improve even for the Scudetto race next year mm. What's the sort of the view in Rome after after the game? Is is it disappointment? Are they calling for De Francesco's head, or are they just no. kind of happy to have made it to a semi final, which was you know very unexpected for them? They are very proud. Uh, not only the coach and the team, but also my friends in Rome are very proud of this team. Um, in Italy, we say a testa alta uh, when mm -hmm. when you lose in this way, and that's for sure what happened at yesterday. They all sang "Thank Roma," which is the anthem at the end of and of the of the game. Mm -hmm. Which they don't usually sing it after our loss, but yesterday it was con not considered. So. Yeah, yeah. And um, but there is the, most of my friends are furious for the referee. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, furious. <laughs> they can't believe they, they they didn't call for the penalty with the handball. Has he got a garbage can for a heart? This referee. Yeah, for sure, really? for sure. Yeah. Should have yeah, been yeah, up yeah. in the stands, fucking <laughs> sprite again. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but as well as, as well as sort of bad refereeing decisions, there was uh, there was a few individual errors that cost Roma a little bit, like Bayern, wasn't it? Really, it's uh, that must be disappointing for them. Yeah, Nangolan in the first half for sure, and uh, we were telling this uh, two days ago. And Roma didn't have to consider to consider goal in the first half. That was the main thing they had to do, and they failed it. Mm -hmm. So you know, after you concede two goals in the first half, was almost impossible to come back. They tried to and. I think at the end they were lucky to go in the in the semi-final at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you cannot do such an error like Angolan did in the first half yeah. if you want to compete in these high levels. Yeah. Well, Liverpool are in the final. Phil, do you think uh, Jurgen Klopp's finally sort of banished those uh, comparisons with Brendan Rodgers and, and Liverpool are finally <laughs> sort of his team now and he's taken them to that next level that, um, that they, they sort of hoped for when they... I think so. Him? I think you, you can't not look at that front three and and not see Jurgen Klopp there. Um, I mean, they've been unbelievable. I think they have about 29 goals between them, mm. which is ridiculous. I think they beat Real Madrid's record, the BBC record of, of 28 yesterday. So there are still issues there. I mean, you, don't, you shouldn't really concede six goals against Roma mm. over two legs. I mean, if they defend like that against Real Madrid, they won't be so forgiving. It's, it's, it's clear. You know, but I think from where they are, I mean, to be in a Champions League final with a midfield of Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum, <laughs> yeah. then you're doing something right. I think that team suits Europe. I think they, they can, they're they happy to just sit back and spring, which is good. It might not work so much in England against the deeper defences. Mm -hmm. So I think 
they they deserve to be there. They've been really impressive throughout. I mean, the the addition of Van Dyke has really sort of pushed them forward. But whether they can go all the way, I'm still sceptical. But it's a great achievement for Liverpool and for, you know, for just the place, the club. It's put some life back into maybe some stale, stagnant years. Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned the sort of defensive frailty that's perhaps a little bit worrisome for them there. I've noticed that they seem to have a bit of a problem when it comes to defending a lead as well. In mm-hmm. the first leg, Salah went off and all hell broke loose. They conceded two goals. Uh, in this game, it was Mane going off mm-hmm. um, and, and that triggered Roma's late salvo. What do you think they need to, how do you need to approach the final? Just just go all guns blazing for the, for the full 90 minutes? Yeah, I think that's the only reason, the only way they know how to play. I don't think their midfield has the technical quality to absorb pressure or slow the game down. I mean, their game plan is usually get it off the back four, hit the channels with with Salah and Mane, you know. So it's difficult because Henderson doesn't really, he's not a six, he doesn't control the game. And I think you saw yesterday they didn't really know what to do with the ball when they were 2-all, 3-2. There wasn't really a plan there. So I think for Klopp, it's definitely going to help with Naby Keita coming in, some technical security there. Mm. But the job for them is to know how to contain and just sit you know they their first thought every time is to attack and while it's what's got them so far they need to just sort of calm down a bit I know it's hard for Klopp because he's you know all about you know quick football aggressive football but I think that could be the difference between them really pushing on now is having some some real composure and technical security in that midfield yeah Thinking about the final, it kind of feels to me that the the wins in Liverpool sails a little bit going into this one, and it's it's kind of their final to lose. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, <laughs> I think they've got nothing to lose for sure. Um, the city's going to be behind them. You know, they've got incredible momentum with Salah, especially, and you know, Firmino's been excellent. He's sort of the foil that they they work around. Mm. So, look in a in a ninety minute game, it's there's always a chance. That's that's the thing you can. You can have a, the worst game of your life. You can have the best game of your life. It's, pu- it's purely down to the day. So they'll they'll completely fancy that. And without much to play for in the league, they're not in the FA Cup. I mean, they're still battling for top four, but their eyes will be solely on this mm. now. And if you can just leave everything out there on the pitch, you know, it's it's possible. And I think maybe it's not theirs to lose, but and they definitely won't be favourites, but they're not the, the underdogs as many will have them. Yeah out to be which is a great position to be in Natalia who would you want to be on for the final do you think Liverpool or Real Madrid mm, I think I'll go with Liverpool even yeah. though they have Klopp behind them <laughs> yeah I think I'll go with Liverpool I'm sure they won't miss as many chances Bayern did mm. I bet Firmino and Mo Salah won't let that happen but yeah I I think they can do that Real Madrid uh, proved that they are not in a very good shape so, yeah, I really think Liverpool can do that. Francesco? You know, I, I want Salah to win the Ballon d'Or in general. <laughs> so this is the only chance we have to <laughs> to win the Ballon d'Or is Liverpool winning the Champions League for me. Because the World Cup, I don't, I don't see how he can do better than Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm. So I want Liverpool to win just because I want Salah to but win. But who do you Ballon think League. will win? Well, I think to win? Yeah. I think it's going to be the final with more goals in the history. Mm. <laughs> I don't see how it's going to be a 0-0 or a 1-1. 7-6. Yeah, be like, like a 4-5 or a 3-2, <laughs> something like that yeah. in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, it's the uh, third best team in England competing with the third best team in Spain to be the best team in Europe. Yeah. Not that I'm bitter or anything. <laughs> uh, well, we pretty much ignored it on last week's show, but there's, of course, the uh, the small matter of a uh, another European semi-final coming up uh, tonight as we record the podcast. Uh, Arsenal taking on Atletico Madrid in the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, Phil, you're a gooner. Um, I watched a game with you and Lewis last week. Um, I was sort of surprised by how crestfallen you both were by that equaliser from Atletico. Do you think it's that, <laughs> yeah. that much of an impact on the, the second leg? Look, I think when you're talking about Atleti, there's always that stigma about their defending mm. that aura you know I think they haven't conceded a league goal in 2018 <laughs> which is you know it's not ideal when you when you need to go there and score basically I think we were so down because the larger implications for the club I mean obviously it's Wenger's goodbye mm-hmm. and it would be great to see him go out on a on a high um, after a very difficult 18 months but it's also sorting out the long-term future of the club. I mean, this is the first season under Wenger we haven't had Champions League football and this is a great way to to bounce straight back. If we fall out again, because we're not going to finish in the top four, let's be honest, mm-hmm. It's it could have larger implications about the talent we bring in, what manager we bring in, um, you know, and, and that could sort of contribute to a, a, a spiral that makes it very difficult for Arsenal to be back at the elite level. So... Obviously, it was disappointing on the night to to draw after such a dominant performance mm-hmm. against ten men. Yeah, but I think just in general, the the result tonight could impact the next five years of Arsenal, which mm-hmm. is why it felt like such a big goal because you know this could be either a bounce back mission where we consider the last eighteen months a blip and then we go again, or it could be a real problem where we have to fight our way back into into England's and mm-hmm. Europe's elite. I mean, you mentioned um, Atleti's uh, good record in terms of conceding goals at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chelsea won there in the Champions League, didn't yeah. they? So it's not uh, it's not impenetrable fortress. But do you think it's perhaps um, Arsenal's away record that is a bit more of a worry? Yeah, we've been tragic away from home this this season. I mean, we've had decent wins in in Milan, and and you know we've won against Ostersunds as well, which is in difficult conditions. But in the league, we haven't won a single point mm. in 2018. You know, yeah. and it's not even playing big teams. I mean, we've lost to United and Spurs, which is not ideal, but fair enough. But when you see we lose to Newcastle, Bournemouth, Swansea, it's not ideal. But like like you said, it's not, the game's not over. You know, mm. we have to score and essentially our task doesn't change. So it's just, can we rally that little bit extra to, to find the goal? Because you saw even with 10 men, how organised, how committed Atleti were yeah. at the Emirates. And it's just going to be that that same task again and they have you know Diego Costa back fit who's always scores against Arsenal you <laughs> yeah know? that's true yeah so it's 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 not over by any means but it's it's a big task mm. and judging by how the season's gone so far it's it's difficult to to see this team raising their level but yeah. I'm I'm still hopeful I'm still yeah. hopeful uh, the other semi-final sees Marseille uh, take on uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Marseille two 0 up from the first leg. So let's assume that they're probably probably mm-hmm. going to go through. I mean, we probably shouldn't assume anything uh, <laughs> the way the football's been going this season. But what sort of threat do Marseille pose to the uh, to the eventual finalists? I think they're a strange one because they've like Real Madrid. They've been pretty, you know, average in in Liga in this year. I mean, they've signed a lot of players, so it's always difficult to gel straight away. But Dimitri Payet and Florian Tovan are really finding their feet now. Mm. One on the left, one on the right. And 
you know, they're the danger men, really. They have, obviously, Luis Gustavo, who's excellent in, in the middle, and Morgan Sanson as well. But I don't think they're stronger than Arsenal. I don't think they're stronger than Atleti. But like Liverpool, they don't have anything to lose. Mm. So that's always dangerous. Um, and when you're on, on form, you feel confident anything's possible over 90 minutes. So I think they definitely pose a threat to, to whoever makes the final. Mm-hmm. And also Marcel will play the final if they make it in Lyon, in Lyon. which is an extra, you know. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. It's going to be crazy, that isn't it? I would not. So winning a league, uh, Europa League in Lyon would be, I think, the best for them. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Elsewhere, pretty much the only big league in Europe which still has something resembling a title race is Serie A at the is moment. Uh, well, yeah, and Napoli are doing the damnedest to make that not the case, aren't they? Um, but as we've got an Inter fan with us, we'll, uh, we'll start with that game that took place in the San Siro on Saturday night. Uh, Inter 2-1 up against Juventus going into the final five minutes. Ten-man Inter, should I say. And then it all fell apart at the end. What happened there, Francesco? Okay, the anthem of Inter is called Pazza Inter, which, which means crazy Inter. This is <laughs> the perfect game to resume Inter history in the last probably 20 years or something. And uh, uh, Inter deserved to win it, but Juventus was way more strong. Mm. Uh, they, they were mentally stronger, they were physically stronger. Inter, as you said, played in 10 men for like 75 minutes, so at the end... Perisic was dying on the pitch. Uh, <laughs> same thing, Icardi. And, but Spalletti decided to take off Icardi from the pitch. Oh, yeah. And he put Santon inside the pitch. And, you know, we know all the results of the game <laughs> after this choice. And uh, Samir Andanovic had some pretty failures there. He, he was on the take com- or yeah, something, yeah, wasn't he? He must have been, yeah. Yeah, he missed completely. <laughs> the, the, especially the second one, he didn't even realize the ball was there. So... After this game, I think the Serie A is over because mm. Napoli lose, lost 3-0 against Fiorentina the day after. And um, I don't see how they can recover four points in the last three games, honestly. Mm. Even if there is still Roma-Juventus in two weeks. Yeah. What happened to Napoli against Fiorentina? I mean, they went at ten, down to 10 men pretty early on, didn't they? But to lose 3-0, a team that's sort of chasing the title, it's, it doesn't they, look great, that, does it, really? It's... They didn't lose in Florence. I think they, lo- they lost the, the night before when they were watching the game Inter-Juventus. Oh, really? Because I think they were so confident of Inter after the game, winning the game. And so they were already thinking about uh, the, the day after. But mm. after Juventus scored two goals in the last five minutes with, um, with Higuain and their own goal, I think they realised that there was almost impossible uh, to win um, the Scudetto. Mm-hmm. So they started, the, immediately we, we saw that the game started in a completely different way for Napoli. We were not used to Napoli to play like that. And in fact, after seven, eight minutes, Koulibaly was sent off. Yeah. And that was very similar to what happened was beginning of March when Napoli lost against Roma, 4-2 I think it was. Mm. And they lost just because Juventus won in the last minute in Lazio with a goal of Dybala. It was exactly the same. I think Napoli, this is what they need to improve, the mental approach of the games. Mm. Because sometimes when they're confident about themselves, they played tremendous football. Mm. But then when they're not, they are an average team like many others in yeah. Serie A. What a shame. That guy who got the Koulibaly tattoo after his goal against Juve is probably looking a bit silly now, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He? <laughs> Feeling a bit silly. Um, <laughs> 
there seems to be a lot of people around Europe kind of rooting for Napoli to, to break the, the Juventus monopoly on, on Serie A. Is that the same in Italy? Are people kind of trying to get behind Of Napoli course, of course, because it's like in Germany, I think... Uh, we don't want the monopoly of uh, of a team for many years. Mm. In Italy, actually, we are the, uh, in the last fifteen years, were two teams winning the league, except Milan one year in two thousand eleven. It was just Inter and Juventus. That's it. So we all want to. We all wanted to Napoli to win the Scudetto this year for sure, mm. but um, I don't see how how they can make it and. Uh, I don't see how they can make it also next year because Sarri is probably leaving Napoli. So we we, we need the comeback of AC Milan and Inter Milan for mm. sure. Stronger teams with strong more economical power and they can invest more money in the team because, you know, pointing to Napoli, which is of course a great team, but they have 12 players. That's it. Mm. They have one, 11 players plus Milik. That's it. That's <laughs> Napoli. And, you know, if you, if you want to compete in high levels, you need 18, 19... Yeah. Top players, not yeah. just twelve. Do you think Napoli actually deserve to win it this year? I mean, they were great before Christmas, uh, weren't they? Since exactly. then, it's been a little bit average, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, they probably played the best football in Europe in the first five months, mm. and then they they started to. After they got off the Europa League uh, against Leipzig, uh, everyone was saying, "Okay, now they can focus on the Scudetto race." And from that moment on, Napoli was trying to not playing good football. Mm. And so I, at the end, I say I can say that Juventus deserves again another Scudetto, maybe less than other years. But, you know, it was a difficult race for both teams and Juventus was stronger. Yeah. I mean, it's not over yet. So I'm already speaking <laughs> yeah. about Juventus is winning the league. But I think it's very likely they play against, I think, Hellas Verona and, uh, and Bologna. Yeah, Bologna, you, Hel- Bologna, you play Hellas, Bologna Verona. Roma, Hellas Verona, yeah. Verona, Napoli play Torino, Sampdoria and Crotone. Yeah, so way more difficult for Napoli than mm. Juventus. Oh, you think so? I think so because there is um, the game against Crotone will be tough relegation because Crotone is fighting for relegation, mm. and it's not about the the real um, the actual teams how good they are. Is that now Napoli, you know, mentally they're not there. They're mm. not playing football. They are just waiting for the end of the season, basically. Mm. So I think they already lose, lost the, the Scudetto in their minds. Oh, that is a yeah. real shame. I know. But uh, Sarri is going to the Premier League maybe, so we'll, well see. Well, yeah, that's not <laughs> such a shame, I guess, yeah. Um, speaking of managers, just a quick word on uh, Roberto Mancini on the verge of being appointed the new Italian national coach. Has he actually been appointed? Uh, yeah. It's going to be official next week. Next week. Maybe in two weeks, but I think next right. week uh, the, he has to leave Zenit first. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's still managing there. Yeah. And uh, I'm very confident because... You know, it's hard to say now that Italy is not in the World Cup, but I'm confident about the future of Italy because I think we have many young talent players that can be very good in the next five, six years. Um, just to keep, just two names, I can say uh, Donnarumma, the next Gigi Buffon, and then we have uh, El Sharawi, we mm-hmm. have Cutrone, we have many young players that can be very good in the next years. Um, I already told you that I see more Mancini as a national team coach mm-hmm. rather than a club coach. So for for me, it's his perfect job to do that. Sad thing for him is that there is no transfer market in the national <laughs> team <laughs> because he's you very, demand- he's very demanding, you know, so <laughs> it's not going to be easy for him, that, that kind of job. But I'm very confident for him. I'm a super fan of Roberto Mancini and maybe he will... Uh, Buffon can be in his staff. Um, 
there is this chance because he's leaving Juventus, he's quitting football, so mm. he might go to to have a role for the national team, mm-hmm. while Pirlo, uh, there were rumours of Pirlo in the national team staff, but he's, I think he's going to follow Ancelotti wherever he goes, mm. if he's going to have a, <laughs> a team next year, I don't know. But um, so I'm confident about the future of Italy. I have to be, because Manch- it's impossible to do worse than Ventura, <laughs> so I have so, to be yeah. confident. There's one thing I know about Mancini, it's that he doesn't, you know, like his authority being questioned by sort of big personalities. So it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic works with uh, with Buffon. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. And also we'll see if he's going to go uh, Balotelli in the national team. I think <laughs> yeah. he will. Yeah. Maybe not uh, next month when we have the friendlies, but mm-hmm. maybe in in next year when Balotelli will be somewhere else than nice. And... Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see Mario back in the squad. <laughs> oh, me neither. You've got my support 100% on that one. Uh, well, there's another Serie A in the world uh, over in Brazil. Um, the season just started up again recently, Natalia, three games in. Um, you're a Botafogo fan. How's it been going so far? Uh, so far, all in all, I think uh, we've been having a good season. We won our state championship. With the Between the top four clubs in Rio, we have the weakest squad, so we won the state championship. It was good. Uh, we started the National League with a draw at home, but it was against Palmeiras, one of the strongest teams in the country. And uh, then a draw away, and finally the first win of the season uh, in the National League against Grêmio. So uh, we don't have a very strong squad, so I think so far it's it's a good way to start. Yeah. What's the sort of uh, prediction for where they might finish at the end of the season? Mid-table kind of? Or? Uh, yeah, being realistic, I would say mid-table. But if things keep going well, I think we can fight for Libertadores next year. Mm, nice. That would be... It's a bit uh, It's a bit of a dream, but yeah, yeah I'm confident if uh, we have a new coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he keeps with a good job, I think we can keep our hopes high. Nice. Um, I mean, it's early days, but who do you think are the favourites for the, the championship this year? Uh, I would say Corinthians. They won the league last year. Palmeiras, they had like a, a very good transfer market. They were the team that invested more. And uh, Grêmio, of course, after winning the Libertadores and Cruzeiro. Nice. Um, Flamengo, top of the league at the moment, um, but it's not been going too well for them off the pitch, has it? What's been going on there? Uh, yeah, they uh, during the state championship, the, the the coach was sacked after losing the semi-final for mm. Botafogo. In <laughs> <laughs> and they still have no coach, so they still with the assistant. And uh, even though they have a very expensive squad, they have Diego. I think everyone knows him. Mm-hmm. He played for Bremen yeah. and Atletico Madrid. And Juventus. And Juventus <laughs> too. <laughs> you remember him well. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he is a very expensive player and uh, the results on the pitch haven't been so good. Uh, not really convincing performances, especially in the Libertadores. And fans protesting in the airport, and uh, Diego almost getting slapped. Uh, luckily, he had a lot of security <laughs> wow. around him. But yeah, uh, things are not doing well. But let's see how it goes. Yeah, don't take any shit in Brazil, do they? <laughs> no, no, we have this tradition of throwing. 
popcorn in the place. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Flamingo players had a lot of popcorns in the past weeks. <laughs> I bet. Um, another tradition that Brazil has is a, a long one of producing good footballers. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, who are the sort of exciting players that are uh, that are playing the trade in, in Serie A at the moment that we can perhaps look forward to seeing blossoming in the future and maybe coming over to Europe, would you say? Uh, I think everybody already knows Vinicius Junior and Artu. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have Igor Rabelo, he's a defender from Botafogo. Matheus Fernandes, uh, also from Botafogo. Uh, 442 ranked him as one of the top 100 young players to, to oh, watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matheus Vital, he plays for Corinthians. Um, we have Paulinho, who played for Vasco but is already now at uh, by Leverkusen. And I will also say Adem Militão from Sao Paulo. He already received some offers from Europe, but there's nothing really 100% right if he's leaving or not. Mm. But yeah, I would say basically those names are the ones to watch. Yeah, it's like a race to get out who can escape the popcorn the quickest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right, well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Um, Thank you to Natalia, Phil and Francesco, and of course our producer Damo, and a special thanks to you for listening at home, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 